Yes, quite appropriate that we see that. And the song just before it as well, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's my desire, folks, to uh, take your eyes off of the things of this world and set them on things above where Christ is. And uh, we're going to do that again this morning as we walk into the book of Jude. So join me there. It's one chapter long. If you're looking for it, if you find the book of Revelation, just back up to the front chapter and uh, turn one page back and you'll find Jude. It's a small book, but a potent book. And we're working through this book. We're working through Second Peter. Both of these were written in a similar time in history and difficult time in history. And yet both of them have... In a, in a way of saying the same kind of message, and that is, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. We need to grow in that trust. And that's what Peter is emphasizing. We're going to be back on Peter again tonight. And like was announced, we won't have a Zoom for that, but we will have it recorded, and it will be on the website. Try to get it up on Tuesday for you. And uh, if you click on the little picture that says, in great big purple print, God is able... Uh, you might get the Sunday night service, or you might get the Sunday morning service. Uh, it depends on which is the last one I put on there and hook up the link to. But in the sermon library, you'll see all of them. So I just uh, encourage you to go there if you want to follow up, or some of our Zoom folks who won't be with us tonight might want to do that as well. But uh, the book of Jude, today we're back to verse number 24. Now, if you think that pastor can spend a lot of time in one verse... Um, I taught this book of Jude once before. It took me a whole year. Just to let you know, I don't know that that's going to be the case right now. But um, we are going to spend at least three weeks in just verse 24. And today's the second week. Now to him who is able, isn't that what we're aiming for? I told you memorize three words, right? God is able. Yes, you got it. Good. Uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, with your word open in front of us right now, we come to you as your children who need to recognize our dependence upon you, to grow in our understanding of who you are and what you're doing in our lives and the difference that makes. We have a lot of concerns in our world. We have a lot of concerns in our church. We have so many who are not well, going through surgeries, recovering, going through treatments, we are mindful of that, Lord. We pray for these folks constantly. But we also have heavy burdens on our heart as well when we look outside of our church and see the state of our world. And it concerns us, Lord. And we come before you today because though these concerns are so great, it's you who, that, who we should set our eyes on. And I pray you help us with this today, for it gives us a better perspective of how to live as a Christian in a world like ours. So guide us through this passage as we study it again and encourage our hearts and show us what we should do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. I just read verse 24 to you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Have you ever fallen? That's an easy one for a pastor to ask. Because we all have. And you might be looking at this verse right now and saying, what? If God is able to keep us from falling, why? Isn't that the next question you ask? starts with the word why. Why? Now, last week I told you something to remember. When it comes to God is able, there's words that don't follow that. If, but, remember, although, so many times when we look at circumstances or our lives, we always insert, but, and you might be tempted this morning to say that word after this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, but, because you say, but I've stumbled before. I've fallen before. How does this, how does this make sense? I'm going to work on that with you this morning, all right? Like I read to you last week, the Amplified Versions, starts now to him who is able to keep you without stumbling or slipping or falling. Icy days are tough. I remember many years ago, I had just had some surgery, and um, I was told to walk. And I went out to walk. And it was January in Indiana, and so there was ice everywhere. And you know how treacherous that is when you're recovering from surgery to have to walk? on ice, and it concerned me a great deal. I I didn't go very far. I went right back into the house. I said, there's got to be better places to walk than that. It's slippery out there. And I grew up where ice was just normal for us for most of the year. It seemed like I couldn't wait to move to Oklahoma. That's all it was. It's warmer down here, and I could could get away from the snow and the ice, but it hasn't been the case this year yet. God is able. What do you do with that? in reference to that word, stumbling. Let's talk it through, all right? First, let me remind you of a couple of things that Jude has said about God. I'm not going to repeat my whole sermon, but I'm going to repeat the highlight in this sense, that God is able, always able, always able. He is able right now. He is able, not was able, as if that's over. Or will be able, as if we're hoping someday that might kick in. Or that God might be able, or that God could be able, or that God should be able. But it says God is able. We have to put that down in our thinking. Because many times we put the potential in the phrase, and there's no potential here. This is reality. God is able. And the aspect And the text is continuous. It's always the case. Always the case. Now, everything else that we study anchors to that. So that's why I'm going to stress it like I do right now. I want that to be something we're very sure of. Absolutely, positively not going to change our mind when we read that God is able. All right? Now, that's going to help us with the rest of the verse, obviously, but we have to get that concrete in our mind, and we have to mature in it. There's a task we're called to. 
And that's what we talk about even in Peter's study, that we are to mature in our knowledge of him. I would say this, and, and I, I'm not trying to step on toes, so I tend to do that on occasion. If you are not absolutely convinced that God is able, you don't know him well enough. We are to grow in our knowledge of him. It's all over scripture for us to do that. And we don't. Circumstances, busyness, we put up a whole list of things. But when we mature in our knowledge of him, we see what he is able to do. It becomes more logical. Things become more logical for us because of him. More practical for us. Because of him. Honestly, if we're struggling with it, it might be because of immaturity. More than it is of circumstances. Because circumstances are going to come, aren't they? They're going to come. And the more we know about what he can do, the more we will trust him. What Jude does not say about God is that word if, or that word but, it never follows. We put the conditions on God. We put the limitations on God. With our words, we say, if only he had been there. We question his omnipresence, don't we? If only you can. How many times have you prayed that way to God? I don't know what you add to that. But only if you can. We question his omnipotence when we say that. If only you knew. How many times did your prayers start that way? We question his omniscience. We hear him say, do this, and we say, but. We hear him say, I am sufficient for you, trust me, and we say, but. The Bible never tells us of a God with limitations. The Bible never says can't next to God's ability and power. When Mary was told by the Lord that she would carry the Messiah, what was the thought on her heart? Can't happen. Not possible for her to be pregnant. And the angel said to to her after she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And God's answer was, if you recall, it wasn't only but a few weeks ago we were in that Christmas story. Nothing will be impossible with God. Has that changed over the years? No. It is man who puts the ifs and the buts into the conversation. Remember this story? There's a testimony about who can be saved in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. The disciples couldn't figure this out. This rich young ruler, remember, walked away. And they started to question the Lord. And the Lord says, well, he used pictures of camels going through eyes of needles and things like that. And they're saying, then who can be saved? If, if that's so impossible, who can be saved? And the Lord answered them, these things are impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Abraham, when he was told, told that Sarah is going to have a baby, he turned to the angel talking to him and said, you know, have you looked at her? She's old. It's not going to happen. Uh-uh. She was 90. 
No, not going to happen. The angel answered, is anything too difficult for the Lord? How many times do we need to read this in Scripture before we get convinced that it's the same message all the way through from Genesis to Revelation? Job was wrestling with that once. Remember, his big question was, why has this happened to me? And that's what his friends were supposed to help him with. But Job said in Job 42, verse 2, I know you can do all things, watch this, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I like that last phrase. Do you think God has a purpose in this world right now? Can anyone thwart that? Jeremiah asked that question. Jeremiah, God, you're destroying Judah. Why did you have me buy land in such a hopeless place? God says, go out, Jeremiah, go buy this land. He said, okay. He went out and bought the land. But he had a big question mark. He says, Lord, you just told me we're going to be overrun by the Babylonians. We're going to lose the land. We're going to be taken out of here. And he says, why did you have me buy that? That doesn't seem like it's a logical thing to do. Why did you have me buy this land in such a hopeless place? And in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. God answers him in Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Let me ask you another guy story. He was a, a great king. He controlled the whole world as far as his arms could reach. And he started eating grass out in the field. Know his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, when he finally came out of all of that, this is his statement. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4 verse 35. Who can question God's power? I'm going to do my best today to make a point. Now I'm traveling through scripture with you, but there is a unanimous statement And I've showed you that from all different sources right now. A unanimous statement that God is able. It was true in Job's day. It was true in Abraham's day. It was true in Jeremiah's day and Nebuchadnezzar's day and Mary's day. And it's still true today. God is able. We're going to test that this morning with that next question. It's not out of doubt exactly. But we're going to examine verse 24 a little bit closer and ask... Why does he say, then, he can keep you from stumbling when we look at ourselves and say, I'm good at it? I don't think you're going to have a hard time understanding the word stumbling. Even in the morning, I could stumble over a rug in the kitchen, spill my coffee all over the place. It doesn't take much. You ever try that? When they put the definition of klutz in the dictionary, they could put my picture with that. You've probably thought the same too. How many times have you called yourself that? 
I'm just a klutz. Have you ever looked up the word? You ready for this? Klutz. Dictionary. It's a North American term of all things. A clumsy, awkward, or foolish person. Woohoo. The synonyms. You're going to love this. First one, idiot. <laughs> Said what? Half wit, nincompoop, blockhead, buffoon, dunce, dolt, ignoramus, cretin, imbecile, moron. This is not sounding good, is it? A clod, a dope, a ninny, a chump, a dimwit, a nitwit. A numbskull, a dunderhead, a chucklehead, a knucklehead, a muttonhead, even a puddinghead. I don't know. Airhead, pinhead, lame brain, pea brain, bird brain. I said, whoa. It's a Yiddish term. Yeah, for wooden block. <laughs> Blockhead. So you say, okay, well... We use the word awkward a lot when we use this word. Like, we walk awkward, we fall down, we make, we make a mess of things. Have you ever noticed the statements about God's activity toward men stated in the Bible? And we read and we see what he's done with them, and usually we respond, well, yeah, that's in the Bible. He does that for Bible people. But see... It may be true for them, but it, I'm different, right? How many times have you thought that? I'm different. He might have done this for somebody else, but it, it hasn't worked for me. God might keep others from stumbling, but... There it is. But. I want to talk through the word stumbling for a minute, and I'm going to talk through the word keep for a minute. And I want to show you what Jude is saying to us in this passage. After a little investigation, I've, I've had to learn something that I wasn't expecting to tell the truth and put it back in this context and show you what I've seen about God and his ability. You ready for this? It's good for us. I'll start with the word stumbling because that gets our attention first, doesn't it? We read all these great things, but stumbling's like in bold letters or something. Maybe it, it kind of pops out on the page uh, as you read it, and you say, wow, that's me. Well, your pastor loves words, and he digs into words, and, and he wants to see all that that word has to say. So I take the word stumbling, and I pull out the fact that there are two kinds of words used for stumbling in Scripture. One that is predominantly used in the New Testament for stumbling is such like this. If your right eye makes you stumble, then tear it out and throw it from you. Nobody did that. That'd be an interesting thing to do, isn't it? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. That sounds desperate. Matthew five twenty nine. The word is scandalizo. We get the word scandal from that. You say, well, what, what is that? That means to put a stumbling block in front of something. A stumbling block. Some impediment in the way. Some, some way to make somebody trip and fall. It means to offend. If your eye 
offends you, pluck it out. It's actually an intentional thing, something mean and something destructive. When somebody goes about trying to set something before you to make you fall, to make you trip. That's what junior high boys do, right? They seem to have a knack for trying to get somebody to trip and fall. Not all junior high, not any of that comes to our church wouldn't do that. Well, I give you that word first because that is not the word you're looking at. Though it's predominantly used in Scripture, it's not the word Job or Jude chose in order to describe this fall. It's not that something intentionally got in your way to trip you up. All right? It goes to the second word that Jude liked to use and Peter liked to use. That's why I'm putting these two together especially. It's that it seems to be the accidental kind of tripping. Something unintentional, a surprise. When you reflect on it, it could have been avoided. I said, ooh. Most of the time, is it not true that we're just not paying attention? When we step into a puddle on a slippery floor and we didn't know it, we're not paying attention. We use that sometimes with cars. When we accidentally drive into something that we didn't mean to, we have a word for that now. Distracted driving. It's become a phrase in our terminology now. This is the idea of accidental tripping. Unintentional, surprised, and yet when you think about it, it could have been avoided all along. You talk of the word stumbling here, and that's the word that Jude likes to use here. He's talking about to err or offend morally. In the widest sense of the word, it covers your whole conduct. To err, to make a mistake, to sin, to fall into misery, to become wretched. Sounds like a bad day. Starting with one accident, and before you know it, the consequences are pretty heavy. You weren't paying attention. You made a mistake. Led to maybe the idea of a sin here. You fell into misery. You became wretched. James used it in chapter 2, verse 10. You'll remember this passage. Whoever keeps a whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of them all. He didn't go out as a way to break the law. Perhaps it was an accident. He wasn't paying attention. He slipped and fell. He's accountable. James said it again in chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. That's almost like that verse in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For we all stumble in many ways, he says. If any man does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Have you ever stumbled with your words? Let's go on. Second Peter 1.10. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That's curious. What things? What is he talking about? Well, we're doing that in Peter in the evening, so I'm not going to answer. You have to come tonight and see where we get. But there's a potential. You see the potential lying before you with these things? Even unknowingly, we stumble in a great many errors. 
That's reality. We know that's true. And you say, okay, what, what kind of errors? Errors of doctrine? Is that possible? Yes. Errors of spirit? The idea of we lack love, we lack discernment, we lack belief, we lack, or we might have conceit, or some other thing within us that's driving us, and it leads to a, an error, a sin. Outward sins. Neglect of duty. Ignorance. Idleness. Backsliding. Those are some of the things that come into this picture of, well, how can we fall? How can we slip? How can we stumble? We can make errors in so many different ways. Which of these are we able, in our own strength and wisdom, to withstand on our own? We can't. Let's ask this question here. Are we sufficient in ourselves to accomplish a high walk here, avoiding stumbling and falling, avoiding errors and sins? Are we able of our own selves? Are we sufficient of our own selves? Have we the wisdom and the ability to keep ourselves from falling? Does Jude say, keep yourself from falling? Look at it. Does Jude say, keep yourself from falling? No. He does not say that. How many of us can attain to blamelessness on our own strength? Does our experience give us any ground to trust our natural resources to accomplish these things? Have we ever improved in any way in these things on our own power, through our own exercise, through our own endeavor, to encourage self-confidence. Are we the ones who are accomplishing this thing, keep from stumbling? I'm making a simple point. The fancy words I could read you all over this page this morning comes to one conclusion. We can't do it. We cannot keep ourselves from falling. We can't. We can't. It's called a sin nature. Do you know you have one? Do you think you need any help from the world, the flesh, or the devil to use that sin nature? Oh, I know they're there. But the reality of Scripture says that we're already bent that way. We're already bent to sin. Given the option on your own strength, to obey the Lord or follow your own way, guess which way you're going to go more times than not? Am I depressing you? I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just showing you something that's true and recorded in Scripture. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And guess what we did on top of that? And we have, each of us have turned to his own way. Thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He associates our own strength, our own wisdom, our own efforts to try to be perfect, and we can't do it. And the frustration that comes with that, and the fact that we do not trust him in that, he can puts that all in the same department as iniquity. 
I don't know if you've ever seen it that way before, but what do you call it when you don't trust God? And you don't depend on Him. It's so easily said, and I said it before you in that fact, that the fact of falling is quite possible for us. It's woven into us in so many different ways. And, and that's the essence of the word that I look for when I pull up this word and I say, okay, falling is easy for us. Falling is easy for us. So I put it in its context. And I say, what are you saying, God? You're able to keep me from falling? When falling seems to be my default? Hang on a minute. We're coming to the context. I want to look at word number two. Keep. There are lots of words for keep. Lots of wonderful words. There's one that means to keep or guard like you're keeping a prisoner in jail. When I uh, was in school at Moody Bible Institute, we were given assignments outside in the city. Nobody really liked that. They were usually assigned to us, and there were places that we wouldn't have gone. And uh, one of the places I was assigned for a semester was to go to the Audi home. It was the prison for children. What a miserable place that is. Children who have committed crimes, and they were biggies. They weren't just the little crimes. They were somewhere in there for murder. Children. I worked with nine-year-olds in that place. The oldest I dealt with was 12. And they were in there for terrible, terrible crimes. And I had 20 minutes to talk to them about the Lord. I was kind of terrified, to tell the truth, to go into a place like that. And I remember the first day we went in, we came into the front door, and there was this large room there, and of course that's where you... Uh, see a guard and you're approved to go in the doors and they open this door and they usher us through there. There's about four or five of us. We walk into this room and that door closes behind us. And we're in one large room, maybe about the size of the sanctuary. And the only thing in this room is that door we went through and the door on the other side. And they'd walk us through that. And they'd, somebody would open it and we'd go through that door and another guard would close it. And we're in another room just like that. And it was like that room after room after room we passed through. It was such a place that they could not get out. That was the design. Doors everywhere to keep you from getting out. You got into one room, there's no way out of that room unless you got through that door. And they had a guard at every one of them. And I thought, wow. That was kind of intimidating for the first time to walk through. To think, what if they never let me out? There's a word for that. To keep you in such a way that uh, you will never get out. That word intrigues me. That's not the word we're looking at. The word we are looking at is a word called phulasso in the Greek. I like that word because it has the word lasso in it. And I know that's not what the Greeks were thinking. But it did me good because when I, I looked at this picture, lasso, phulasso in the Greek... I thought of watching a rodeo. Some of you like to do this. When they come out of the chute and that little calf is running a few feet ahead of them and they, they pull their rope out and they swing it around and they catch that calf by the neck and they pull it down. And then they tie it up. 
And that's supposed to be the whole point, right? Secure it as quickly as you can. The, the picture is pretty impressive, and they're very good at that. But the idea of this word is the idea of keeping it in such a way it doesn't get out. To wrap it up, so to speak. To, to tie it around. To guard it. To, there's a lot of words that come with this. Protect. Preserve. Observe. Maintain. This is the word that you are actually looking at in Jude's words. To keep you means to provide protection from external attack. It's not to save society from you. It's to save you from society. You see the difference? God provides the means for defense against any assault, to keep you, to guard you, to preserve you, to protect you. Picture something wrapped around you to keep you safe, to hold you in, to keep you tight in that spot. All I have to do is give you one picture, and it's all going to make sense. Take a toddler, and you know toddlers toddle, right? Take a toddler, just learning to walk. Where is mom or dad when this little one starts to take these little steps across the living room floor? You see the picture? Where is mom or dad? Are, are they not hovered over that child with their arms ready to catch, ready to hold when they're taking their steps? You ever watch a toddler fall? They have no instinct to protect themselves. If they go down face first, they go down face first, don't they? Just boom, down they go. You see them. They start to lean, and you know they're going. And they do nothing about it. They just keep going with it. It's amazing to watch how these little things can do such things. And when they fall forward or they fall backwards, or, there's no way that they're going to catch themselves. They don't think that way. So what's our instinct as parents, as big brothers or sisters? Catch them. Catch them. Be there ready. I mean, we like them to learn to walk, I think, don't we? we? We want them to learn to walk, but at the same time, we want to be there to guard them from falling. Starting to get a picture? I'm going to keep going with this because I want you to understand something here. When you start to put all this together, we are walking. Our Christian life is called a walk. And we are out there walking, yet we're careless. We're prone to sin. We easily fall, unexpectedly, sometimes on purpose. But that's where we are. And if you picture God, something like a parent for a minute here, he's got wrapped around you his protection to keep you from stumbling into a problem, to keep you from injuring yourself in such a way. The picture sounds good, but the question is still, but why do I fall? Why do I fall? If, there it is, if he is protecting me. Let me say something to you first. Folks, we don't know what all we've been protected from. We do not know, do we? How close we have come over the years, 
to a fatal fall of one kind or another. Just set that thought in your mind for a minute, and let me add the context. I told you this would help. Let's go to the context of what Jude is saying. And let's back up. You're in the book of Jude. Back up to verse 17. This is where he starts to turn on his audience and say, okay, this is what you do. Because up to that point, he's describing something quite terrible going on in the church. All right? We're going to embellish that and build on it and everything else in the weeks to come. But this is where he turns to his, his readers and he says in verse 17, But you, beloved... Uh, to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, and the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, devoid of the Spirit. In the last times? Did you read those words? Does it sound like a newspaper article to you? But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire... And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. He's telling us several things here. One, your own maintenance is important. Build yourself up in faith. Build it up, build it up, build it up. Get stronger and stronger and stronger in your faith. Trust the Lord. Long for His mercy. Wait anxiously for his coming. Build up that faith. And then he says, after he talks about your own maintenance, he says, and now ministry. Far too often, when troubles come our way, we back down of things that we should be doing. We do. Because we go into self-maintenance. And we forget that ministry still is necessary. We're here to protect ourselves. Times are tough. We've got last day stuff here. Ungodly lust, mockers. We've got division. We've got worldly-minded people devoid of the Spirit. Let's hibernate. Let's go take care of ourselves. Let's hide in a cave somewhere. Let's, let's not concern ourselves with all that. Let's just work on ourselves. Let's... let's He says, yes, build yourself up. That's good. Build up your faith. Build up your faith. Build up your faith while you have ministry to those who need mercy. Do you know we're not the only ones in this world? I don't know if you notice that. There's a lot of people out there. How many people might you think needs the Lord? Do you know they're going through misery too? They're going through hard times too. And yet they don't have an answer. You do. He says, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others. Snatching them out of the fire. Fire. Let me say something simple to you. These verses we're walking through. 
and especially when we get to this word, fire. We talk about self-maintenance. Yes, that's important for our Christian walk. It's important that we care for our spiritual well-being, and that is not for yourself. That is not for yourself. How can we help others if we are a mess ourselves? If you've ridden on an airplane, and I'm sure most of you have, that person giving up instructions at the start of the flight that we ignore, unless they're very clever and creative, we generally ignore them. But one of the rules is this. If we ever lose uh, cabin pressure, this mask is going to pop down out of the ceiling, right? And they say to do what? You put it on yourself First, and then help the person next to you. Why? Because it's kind of hard to help the person next to you when you're passed out. It's logical. You have to be able to maintain your own well-being in order to help other people. That's what Jude is telling us here. You have spiritual maintenance, yes. And that's what we do here on Sunday morning. We build you up in the faith, build you up in the faith so that you're strong enough to go out to a world that is really needing help. And if we're a mess, how are we ever going to help them? The spiritual well-being of others we must deal with. We must help them. The job really isn't done until we do these next verses. Because that's what we're trained to do. That's what we're prepared to do. That's what we're strengthened to do. So let's, let me put it back in the picture. Are you ready? Brace yourself. This is awesome. This is awesome. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's a serious rescue operation. I'll give you this picture first, and then you'll see it. If you are looking on one of these wintry days, cross town or driving through, and there happens to be a little pond out here, which there is, I'd say that it had been covered with ice, and some little people decided, hey, let's go ice skating. But the middle was not strong enough to hold them, and you saw it. You saw them go into the ice, the ice break, and down they go into the water. What do you do? Well, of course, you say, I've got to help them. I've got to help them. So you go running out full speed onto the ice, and guess what? You go in too. Is there not something you've ever seen of the procedure of rescuing somebody in that situation? You lay down. It looks like a ladder. You stretch yourself out. And what do you need? Somebody to hold your leg. You form a chain. Remember? You've seen the picture before. Somebody is there to keep you while you are keeping somebody else. You got a picture now? Here's the picture. There's danger for the rescuer. You don't just jump into a fire. We've got firemen over here. They're trained to put on equipment first, right? You put on your, 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 your proper equipment. You put on your mask. You put on your protective gear. You do all the, all the protocol because you're going to run into a dangerous place on fire to help somebody in trouble. You don't just run right in. Well, you're a victim too. 
context. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you, it's an adjective, as non-falling ones. Where? When you're helping somebody who's in danger. The people out beyond this wall, we can easily say, if they don't know Christ, they're in serious danger right now, aren't they not? Can we say it's a picture like being in the fire? And we say, I'd love to help them, but I'm kind of scared. That's a dangerous world out there. I'd rather just hide, go back to bed. I'd rather stay away from it. The Lord says, no, there's your ministry. These people need what you have. You built yourself up in faith. Take it to them. Go to them. But Lord, I could fall. What if I fall in the fire with them? I, this thing, you told us in Galatians 6 verse 1. Go ahead, try it on him. Brethren, Even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. But Lord, I, I, I fear. I fear this hostile environment. I fear that letting somebody know that I'm a believer might bring persecution my way or words or something. I I fear their sin that they're in. I don't know that consequence. I fear that if I get in the same thing that they're in, I'm going to fall. It's a trap. It's deceptful. Deceptful. I'm scared, Lord. I'm scared. And he says, I will keep you. Hear it? Who has your leg? As you skim out into the world's ice to rescue somebody in need. Who's with you? Who is able? Whose message do you carry? Whose power changes lives? Whose spirit indwells a person and changes them forever? Who does all that? God does. And is he able to save that person in the fire? Yes. Did he save you? Yes. He says, don't be afraid to go out in that world. I know it's a mess. It's not there. The Lord didn't say that. But he could. I know it's a mess. But these people need you. Because you built up in faith in me. So go forth. I will keep you from stumbling. You got the picture? I will keep you from stumbling. I will hold you fast. I'll keep you safe so you can help others who are dealing with sin in an ungodly world. Go help them. I've got you. I've got you. Remember, folks, he is able. He is able. Don't let fear become that word that starts to develop in your heart. When you see things around you going bad, don't become fearful. Become faithful. Grow in Him. Grow in Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. He will use you. And folks, we are in unprecedented times to be used. Because our world needs what God has. And guess who gets to carry it? We do. Trust Him. He's able. He's able. We're going to come back to the rest of that next week. Heavenly Father, As your people, we come before you today. We do.
quickly turn to issues of fear. We get, we get overwhelmed by circumstances. We see the character of a world around us. The sin that so easily grows and, and it's just something so frightful to us to live in a dangerous place. And yet, Lord, our focus isn't right if it's not on you. If we're not building our faith in you, if we're not trusting you, this whole thing is going to look so dangerous that we will never step out to reach another person. But that's not what you're building us up for. You're building us up to minister to people who need to hear the truth in days like this. And so I pray, Lord, that we will certainly grow in our faith. But we will not forget that we're called to go. And we're called by the one who goes with us. You would never, never, never cause us to stumble. And that's such an encouraging thing to know that you're with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Help us to understand this better and to grow in it, we pray. For we desperately need it in our day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.